0: Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows.
1: And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures,
0: an early-stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest today is Jacqueline Hester. Jacqueline is a partner at Foundry Group in Boulder, who, as many of you know, is one of the OGs of Colorado venture investing. They've done a ton to help build the ecosystem here over the last couple of decades. To that end, Jacqueline's lesson today speaks to one of the things that makes the Colorado tech ecosystem so unique and so great now, and we believe on the future. Jacqueline, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. Good to be here.
0: Would love to hear a little bit about uh, what you're up to today with Foundry Group and uh, the path that took you into v c
2: Sure, so I'm a partner at Foundry Group. We are based in Boulder, but we invest all over the u s and Canada. Today, our strategy is focused on two things twenty five percent of what we do from a dollar's basis is investing. In seed stage VC funds across the U.S. and Canada. And 75% of what we do from a dollar's perspective is investing directly into tech companies, usually entering at Series A. And as part of our strategy, we work really closely with those seed funds. We call them our partner funds. Uh, There are 40 of them today. We are very full (laughs) from a portfolio perspective. And we focus on their portfolios and working with them to identify companies that would be interesting for Foundry to come in and invest in directly. But on a broader basis, we work a lot on supporting our network and bringing folks together. And so we're a very network driven firm. And so, yeah, that is how I spend a lot of my time, or maybe all of my time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and you get an interesting background and in path into VC, although I don't know if there is a conventional, conventional path.
2: Yes, everyone likes to say that they, uh, that they have a n- non traditional path into venture. Someone recently who in my mind has like a very traditional path into venture said that he got in in the back door. And my response was, well, if you got in in the back door, then I got in in the crack in the basement. So uh, my background is in law, although I have I do have a JD and an MBA. Um, so I always was business focused. I moved out to Boulder In 2010, to attend CU's JD MBA program. And I didn't know shit about tech or venture or startups before that. So I grew up in a small town on the East Coast. It was not really a thing for me as a kid, but it wasn't really a big thing either. I went to Emory for undergrad and it like entrepreneurship just wasn't really buzzy back then. And so when I came to Boulder, I was really introduced to all things startups and venture and tech via. CU, and really in the background of that was Foundry and how much my partners had been catalyzing the startup community in Boulder and Denver and beyond. Um, and so sort of everything I touched, there was some aspect of entrepreneurship or startups or venture that was involved with it. And I got I started to get really excited about wanting to spend time in that world. I ended up going into the practice of law, but with a focus on working with startups um, and also ended, did some M&A work. But at the same time, my husband and his brothers were working on a startup and I took a step back and said, well, you guys are working just as hard as I am, but you are having a lot of fun and I am not having any fun. <laughs> not having to so,
0: bill by the hour, right? <laughs> yes. And so
2: I, as I've been thinking lately about like, what are some of my core values? I actually think fun is one of them. I just really want to have fun with whatever I'm doing um, as hard as I'm working or as serious as things are. And so it, it just was like, wow, I really want to spend my time being closer to startups. So I thought about operating roles. Foundry historically did not really hire. So I never really thought about that as a path. But I knew the Foundry guys in a bunch of different ways and got very lucky, which I think is a big thing about talking to anybody that has had a path into venture. A lot of it is that you got really lucky and you met the right people at the right time. And that's exactly what what happened with me. And so um, I started talking to different people at Foundry about this new strategy that I just described, but that was sort of starting at the time, which was institutionalizing this partner fund investing. And so I came in in 2016, very green, and my partner Lyndall really took me in as an apprentice, taught me everything he knew about investing in VC funds and finding talent and different models and and all of that. Um, and then over time, built relationships with the managers and. You know, seeing a lot of what was going on on the direct side of the house at Foundry and work, starting to work with some portfolio companies, working with my partners and learning from them as our portfolios matured and sort of the strategy started to play out. There has been there have been so many opportunities over the past couple of years to invest in companies that are sort of graduating out of these seed funds, and I know the portfolios really well. I've met a lot of the founders. I know the managers really well, and so it was sort of a natural progression for me to start leading direct deals as well. And so I do a lot of that today sit on a couple boards. Um, At least one of the companies that I've led an investment in is here in the Boulder Denver area. So I'm very proud of that and very happy with that. And so yeah, so that is my non-traditional path into venture and I couldn't be happier and feel more privileged to get to do what I do.
1: So Jacqueline, as someone that's been here in the ecosystem for over a decade, I would love to hear your take on how you've seen it evolve over the last decade and then what you're excited about from what you're seeing now here in Colorado.
2: Yeah, um it has really evolved. I mean, you just take a step back and look at how Denver and Boulder have evolved just by looking out the window, right? Like the the expansion, the building, the number of people that are here. But one thing that's always been true since I've been here at least and and probably way before that, it's a great place to build a company. And it's attractive for a lot of reasons. There is a lot of there's just a lot of really smart, educated people here and it's a really attractive place to live. People live full lives here. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to appreciate outside of, you know, your day-to-day job. And there's just like this sort of innovative um, energy here to just the way people live their lives and openness and, and support. And like, just like the community aspect of it is really nice. And because it's, you know, it's still small today, but it was really small a, a decade ago when I started. And so I've seen it evolve a lot. But what we didn't have, I think, when I started was the presence of a lot of big tech companies having an office or moving here. And so that, I think, is going to have additional flywheel network effects um, in accelerating sort of the talent pull to the region in a way that maybe hasn't happened in the 10 in the ten years before, even though we had all of those other things in place and there and there still were, you know, there, Twitter's been here for a long time and Oracle's been here for a long time and Google's been here for a long time. But all of a sudden, we're just seeing so many people want to be here. And then the pandemic just really accelerated that, right? And so I can't tell you how many people I know from the Bay Area, from New York that are moving here that are either working remotely and then their company's deciding to move here um, or starting something here. So I just... I mean I used to say like you know 10 years ago it was like this is the best co- place to build a company and it's like it's booming right now and it's like just you know been exponential from there to where we are today uh, at how real this opportunity is and how exciting it is to be here.
0: Yeah Jacqueline when when I moved here my wife and I moved here from Chicago my mother-in-law said Everybody knows if your kid goes to Colorado, they never come back. <laughs> and certainly, certainly that's what we're expecting with all the employees that are being brought here by these big companies.
2: Well, that's why we want to be here so that our kids might leave for a little while, but then they'll at least come back to us, right? Like I will never live on the East Coast again, much to my parents' dismay. So.
0: <laughs> I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. And, you know, I didn't really get that excited about going back there. for. The <laughs> You're not there, feeling right? the but, hard
2: pull? Hey, we have no. a company in Des Moines, Iowa. I will have you know. and
0: uh, the and One company. <laughs> with respect to Des Moines, I love Des Moines, obviously.
1: <laughs> well, so, Jacqueline, we'd love to dive into to why we're here. I'm sure, you know, with your experience at Foundry and your experience as a lawyer and what you've seen here last decade, that you've seen and learned a lot of really interesting things. But we'd love to dive into and learn, like, what's your biggest lesson that you've learned and, and how did you learn it?
2: It's funny. I was going to say something different. I thought about this earlier. I was going to say that it's about the humans and about the people that you surround yourself with, but I'm going to go a step further because that's not really a, I don't know if that's really a lesson. I think that what I've realized, is, and this is going to sound a little corny and it's of course like very on brand, but like the concept of give first is real. And I think, so a couple of reasons why why that, that's a thing for me. So I, like, I've always been a person that believes in karma not like a very religious person, but like the universe and its forces have always been a real thing for me. And I think because I've had a lot of luck and privilege in my life, like I appreciate how those things sort of like tend to work out. And I'll bring in the human piece of it, which is that if you surround yourself with awesome humans and you seek out relationships and you do things for people because you enjoy doing that, you tend to create a lot of luck for yourself, I think. And opportunities tend to present themselves in a way where you can take a lot of risk and you, you sort of don't have to worry about it, especially when you're younger. And so I think that I didn't know the the hashtag give first until you know the last couple of years when I've been at Foundry and worked a lot with tech stars. But I think it's been like a recurring theme in my life. And to me, if I think back on every sort of like great break that I've had or thing that's worked out, that's the recurring theme is like this give first concept. And so what I mean is like saying yes to things. It's not altruistic. And you know that eventually it will sort of all circle back to you, but you also enjoy doing it. And so that to me is is the biggest lesson is that like to have that as the the recurring theme in my life for everything that I do and that it sort of worked out to me. On the human side, I will say, that that's been a lesson in a more negative way is where, where I wasn't careful about choosing the people that I was gonna work with and I was cared more about the prestige of the organization or the sub like specific subject matter of the work, I was largely disappointed and unhappy. But I think also those were not people where give first was like a theme for them, right? So it does tie together in a way.
1: Looking back, can you think of a, a specific example, you know, of an outcome in your career? or personal life, where sort of that give first mentality, like changed the trajectory for you.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. So, a couple of different things that all led me to Foundry, right? So, when I was in my fourth year, right? So, I did a, a joint program which was four years JD and MBA, and when I was in my fourth year of the program, um, I was the VC class. There's like a VC class in the law school um, that my one of my former partners, Jason Mendelson from Foundry was a professor of. And along with another wonderful professor who's just been an incredible uh, force in a lot of our lives uh, here in Boulder is Brad Bernthal. I was the uh, TA for their class. And that class really was my real introduction to like all of this stuff. And Bernthal calls me one day and says, Hey, there's this organization called Startup Colorado. And the executive director we have like, isn't a great fit. I know you're still in school. think this will be like five hours a week. Will you just switch from being the TA to doing this role? Because we think it's like a more important role. And by the way, Brad Feld is on the board. So you'll get exposure to him and Phil Weiser's on the board and all these interesting people. And I really think it'd be a good opportunity for you. Like, would you do this? And so I said, of course, because, you know, this is a person that had done things for me, made introductions for me. So I like, and that I was like, sure. It was a total lie. It was not five hours a week. It was like way more than that. It was like sort of a full-time job. But by saying yes to that, it it like sort of led me to this group of people that then became champions for me in the community. And so, similarly, and also it was just awesome because I got to enter. So, the part of the role was like you put college students from across the country into internships in startups across Boulder and Denver and sort of like show off the front range and then bring them together and they do like a pitch competition and they have evening classes that you've got to get people from the community to teach and so like all of that was just like this great way to connect with the community and i will tell you that that was what i was thinking of when you asked like back then versus today it has changed so much like just how many how many more folks are around but anyway and so i you know years later i'm I'm working, I'm a lawyer, I'm pretty unhappy being an M&A lawyer. Go figure, I like people. You don't spend a lot of time with people when you do that kind of work. And Bernthal and Jason reached out to me and said, "Hey, we're hosting this event tonight to try to teach law students how to network, which like good luck. And would you would you come and be a part of it um, and be like sort of one of the, you know, one of the alumni that comes in and talks to the students." So I'm like in the middle of an m a deal. I live in Denver at that point, and I'm like, I don't really want to do this. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. These guys. No. Should I not swear on the? No, bundles? no. We Sorry. we right.
1: these.
2: Uh, okay, okay. Um, I was like, More, more I should like uh, these guys have been great to me, right? And and along the way, like they'd helped me with like law career stuff or whatever. I should take a ride up there, and I love I love the school and what it's done for me and how it's changed my life. And so I should ride up there and and do this. And it turned into like chit-chatting with Jason at the end. Hey, you were a lawyer. You got out. This was not a this was not a, hey, will you hire me? Hey, I want to get into VC. This was just like, I'm a miserable lawyer. You would have once a lawyer. How did you get out of doing that? Right. And so it, he was very kind and generous. And I'll have breakfast with you next week and let's go talk about it. And we talked about lots of different operating roles. And ultimately the the conversation led to the foundry role, but it was so unintentional, right? And all I was doing was like, yeah, I'll go to this do this thing because I owe these people and, I, and I, I like helping law students, right? And so it's just incredible. Like that moment in time, that choice of saying yes to that thing led me to this because there was no posted role. They weren't really actively hiring. They happened to bring, be bringing in someone new who wanted to have a team at a place that didn't really ever do that. So it wasn't like I went there seeking it out. And so that's like the serendipity of it, is the thing that that stands out to me, um, and I, there's all sorts of other examples like that. But it's amazing how a one yes can change the trajectory of your life. Yep. And right now, I'm focused on saying no. All <laughs> like. I talked to my therapist and my coach about this. Like, you've got to say no to stuff because you've got too much going on. Um, and so it's a different phase of life at the moment. But like, in general, those yeses can be just incredibly, incredibly meaningful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of a, advice I got from my favorite business school professor that sounded overly simplistic at the time, but but is resonating a lot is like, good choices come from having good options. Right, and the more of what you do here, I think, just creates those options, right? And then you get good outcomes when you can pick from them.
2: Yes, there's also like a whole <laughs> systemic inequity aspect to that of like yeah. you get to make good choices because you have good choices to make, right? But we won't go into we won't go into that conversation on on this podcast. But yes, like I think it's all about creating creating a ton of optionality for yourself and. A good way of doing that is to just like get out there and start doing things.
1: And so on the the give first piece, which sounds like has played a huge role in your career and is something you actively seek out now, how do you filter or find people that, you know, are give first, right? What, what are sort of positive things you look at? Maybe what are some, some warning signs that you see?
2: Ooh, that, is a, that is a good question. I will give you a non-direct answer. Which is – but here's an example. So when we talk to fund managers, they will tell you all day long how they help companies, right, and how great they are and their value-add thing and their platform thing and whatever. But it's not real until you hear it from the founders. And so I think that like it's incredible what people will remember that you did for them. And so when you talk to founders – so as like on the LP side of the house, right, when we invest in a fund – I don't really give a shit about references from other LPs or co-investors. Like it's helpful to know how people play. But what I really care about and what I spend the most time on is talking to founders that they've worked with, both founders where the company didn't work out and companies where it did. And I usually ask for both. And I feel like when you get founders that are like sort of say nice general things and you might be like in this do no harm category. But when you get founders that like light up and they always – they'll have like a specific story or a specific hire or a specific intro or like whatever, they'll usually have an example because it's something that's stuck with them. And so to me, like if you're doing things that are really truly helpful, that that are selfless, that are focused on the need of the person that you're helping, like it comes out because that person will light up in the way that they're talking about it and they'll usually have a specific thing to say. So that's one version of it
0: Jacqueline to, to go back to something you said before that really resonated with me, which is around trying to balance give first as an ethos with also entering a stage of your career and just demands on you as a as a parent as a you know at work where you just have to start saying no more often and I really struggle with 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 striking that balance. Have you found any techniques to uh to appropriately do that
2: so one idea is to do a bunch of podcasts, and then when people ask me for my time, I can say. I don't have time to talk to you right now but you can listen to this podcast. So, you are helping me with my strategy right now. So that's one. I you know, I think it's really about being intentional. An interesting thing I was talking about somebody recently was like she she's been in, in venture and tech and startups for a long time and she she was like for a while I was like one of the only women. And so I would feel this obligation to talk to any woman that pinged me because there wasn't anybody else, right? And and she was like But today it's so different because there's a lot more of us. And so like that person will go and find somebody else, right? And so I have this like real pain with disappointing people or not help. Like I'm like a very high E, like empath or whatever. And so like actually pains me to like sit in the shoes of the person receiving the email of me saying like, hey, no, I'm not willing to talk to you because so many people have helped me, right? But at the same time, like I can't be... There, being my best for the people that really need me the most, which is my family and the the port- like big ass portfolio that we have, and my partners and all these other people. So, like, I've got to show up well for some people, which means you've got to limit limited in other places. And so, right now, it's just about being intentional about trying not to feel so bad. Something that was suggested to me was doing like drop in hours, maybe once a month or every other month, which I might consider. I'm starting to work on having like shortcut like snippets to send to people of like here's some podcasts I've done here are my favorite blogs to read about this stuff um etc cetera, etc cetera. so
0: yeah th- those are great i got to employ some some of those one of the things that i i found you know is trying to say yes to everyone in some capacity right which which is just maybe maybe just a, a shortcut to avoiding saying no <laughs> and yeah,
2: actually I mean res- responding at all is a version of a yes, right? Like a lot of stuff goes out into the ether. I've historically been a person that responds to every single email and I'm, I'm getting to a point where I don't know if that's possible anymore. So I guess I, I have to say yes to myself <laughs> at the moment um, and maybe we all have to do that a little bit. But yeah, definitely something to be thinking about more is, is uh, being intentional around it.
0: Well, Jacqueline, thanks so much. This is a great lesson because it really, I think, sums up what's so great and we think is so great about this ecosystem, right? And give first is you know, embodied by what you're talking about and put forth things first by either Brad or David as part of Techstars way back when. And, and so I think that's one of the things that will keep this ecosystem great uh, in a unique way. Awesome. Well, uh, how, can, uh, how can our listeners follow what you're up to?
2: I sometimes tweet. Not often, but when I do. It's not very good. No, I'm J. Freester, which is a combination of my my maiden name and my last name. So J-F-R-E-S-T-E-R at – or whatever. It's just at J Freester. I wanted to change our last name to Freester when my husband and I got married and he wouldn't do it. So,
0: um, That's a good one. I like it's it. It's
2: my Twitter handle I like forever.
0: Yeah. I like it. Well, thanks, Jacqueline. <laughs> thanks for spending time with us today.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks,
1: Jacqueline.